0: Welcome to the How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator,
1: and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast paced environment. And now, here are your hosts,
0: David Begin and Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of the How of Car Washing. This is Henry Lopez, and David Begin is with me today. And today's episode, we're going to talk about operational efficiencies, David
1: big big topic in the car wash industry and it's an important topic in order for your car wash to run effectively.
0: Absolutely. It's an important topic for any business, but certainly in an operation like a car wash where you have so many moving parts literally and figuratively.
1: Yeah, that you're not, if you're you're not necessarily, you know, you serve the customer by making sure your facility is up to speed. There's the customer service aspect while you're while the customers on site, but the best thing you can do is to make sure that your your facility and plant and your car wash is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. And so I, that's why I believe it's it's very it's an operationally intensive business. That's right.
0: Yeah, agreed. So let's get started there. I, I kind of thought of this as I was thinking about this topic and how to best approach it as kind of defining it at first. Getting things done is what we'd like to start talking about. I think you have the the what of it, the who, who's going to do it how they're going to do it, when and why. So I'd like to maybe break that down. But when we're talking about a task, a project that needs to be accomplished within a car wash operation, let's start with the what of it. And so defining it sometimes takes a little bit of effort. It might require some uh, reference because it might not be something that we do on a regular basis, right?
1: Yeah, it's it's daunting for the new car wash owner to decide what's got to get done because there's so many things that have got to get done up front, and it's really difficult to put them in categories. And so I recommend for a car wash owner just to write down everything that they feel like needs to get done. And over in the next couple months, if you open a brand-new car wash, you'll get a pretty decent list of things that have got be, to gotta be completed.
0: What's a good source of a starting to-do list or – regular to-do lists, whether we'll talk about frequency in a moment, but where do you usually get started with that
1: list? Well, I would uh, rely on your network. I would either use your distributor who has managed car washes before. So the distributor that installed your equipment would be a great source of information. If you've got a network of other car wash operators, see if they've got a list that you can look at and be able to build from. And I would also Based on going to your distributor, see if your distributor can get you a list from your equipment manufacturer. So the equipment that you bought would have a list of tasks and operations that would need to be completed from a a preventive maintenance.
0: Right. right. And so in your environment, you've, you've got obviously what needs to be done. We'll talk about frequency in a moment. Who needs to do it? Because some tasks require different levels of skill and experience and mechanical ability. So you've got tasks. I'm assuming also then broken down by who has to perform it or who or who's capable of performing that task.
1: Yes, yes. We have we get our employees in about an hour before we open. We open at our wash at 7 a.m. I know some people open at 8 a.m., but we get them in an hour before, and then they divide up the task between the the uh, shift leader or site manager who's on site and the uh, tunnel attendant, and each person goes off in a different direction and performs their task. The tasks that are more complicated and more equipment intensive, I typically would rely on the shift leader or the site manager to perform. And then some of the tasks that are more making sure the lot's clean, making sure the vacuum system's up and running, the hoses are in place, the trashes are empty, uh, putting the signs out. The simpler task I would typically assign to the tunnel attendants. Now, those switch tasks sometimes every once in a while. So if a shift leader or a site manager is training a tunnel attendant to expand their knowledge, he might actually give that person two or three tasks and train them through that process. So they become familiar with the equipment, the computer systems, the pay stations, uh, some of the more complicated issues.
0: Yeah. And so for, for the wash environment, for your wash environment and also other businesses that we own and have owned the checklist, the paper checklist is probably, in my experience, the most effective tool for this. It and of is. course, we can, we can add automation to it, and we'll talk about that later. But that's what helps then everybody on site determine not just let's make sure we don't forget something, which is a big item, which is a big issue, I should say, but also perhaps the order in which to do certain things, right?
1: I think checklists are very important, and you got to have a culture and have a management team that's bought into checklists understanding the importance of checklists. And there's a book out there called The Checklist Manifesto, if you get interested and want to learn more about the importance of checklists. It's a great book. It's a great read to talk about uh, why checklists are so important in operationally intensive businesses. But checklists, I think, are, are extremely important.
0: So let's touch on, let's go off on this tangent for a moment on checklists. Uh, you mentioned the book, and we have a lot of experiences. You know I'm a big fan of checklists. But the thing that can happen, I've observed in all types of environments, is people then get, um, they, they start not to see the items or to just check them off. You're a pilot, and you know that that happens in that arena often as well. So talk to me a little bit about the psychology of checklists and how to make sure that people are actually executing on a checklist and not just ticking off the boxes.
1: Yeah, when you perform a task often enough, you start believing that you've got the task down And you might have it down, but probably you're going to only have it down about 70 to 80%. You're going to skip a few steps. And that's now going to become your standard way of doing things. So if you don't use a checklist, if you don't have a checklist in your hand, and you're actually checking off tasks as you're doing them, your checklist is actually going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then you're going to miss steps. And then the consequences of missing steps could be minor. Or in the case of flying, it could be major. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. the reason why checklists are so important. And I've I've gotten in my airplane, you know, hundreds of times to take off and go flying. But I really take a look at that checklist and I force myself. I have to force myself to go through that list every time, each time, because I feel like there's a tendency for me to want to feel like I already know it. Yeah. But I will surprise myself if I rush through the checklist. Sometimes I don't get my compass set properly or I don't get my altimeter set properly or I didn't turn on the fuel pump. And these are minor things. But over time, if I continue not using the checklist or rush through the checklist, my, my check, checks get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then I'm going to forget something important like making sure the fuel switch is is not in the off position but in the on position. And yeah, that okay. can be uh, – that, that that can cause major consequences. So that's, that's right. the importance of a checklist is it keeps you fresh. It keeps you focused. And, but it's tough. There's, there's a psychological problem with people to want to feel like that they know it. I already know this. I don't need to use the checklist. And I've had shift leaders tell me that, Oh, I've got the checklist memorized. I've had them actually tell me that. Now this is a 30 or 50, you know, task checklist to open in the morning. And I'm I'm almost certain they don't have it memorized. They think they have it memorized in in their head, but they don't.
0: Yeah, it it might seem like we're belaboring this point, but I think it's such a key point, David. This is what I have observed that causes a gradual, but then at the end, measurable decline in your standards, and that is the the human tendency is to say, no, I got it, I've memorized it. And then what happens is everything else begins to get sloppier and sloppier. The way you train a new employee, because now you you pass on that same shortcut attitude to how to get things done. And so you start missing this or that. And then the excuse will be, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, we we don't always do that. We and so the checklist is about keeping this level of consistency and this level of high standard throughout your organization. It's what we'll talk about in a moment, which is a key component to systems. But you do have to be vigilant of that tendency that everybody has to stop looking at or executing off of the checklist and think I've got this memorized. It's almost like sometimes we almost want to wear it as a badge of look at me how experienced I am and I only use a checklist when I first started, right? There is that tendency is that maybe it shows that I don't know what I'm doing
1: yeah yeah it does, and there's this feeling of confidence that I've got it figured out. I know what i'm doing i don't I don't need to use this anymore, and that's absolutely the wrong attitude i I cycle, yeah, I know you cycle, Henry, but I've got a checklist. I'm going on a cycle trip tomorrow, and I've got a checklist of all the clothes and all the gadgets. There's more gadgets in cycling than I can imagine. <laughs> but I have a checklist that I have to go through to make sure that I've got everything and when I don't go through that checklist and I travel somewhere. I inadvertently forget something. Yeah. You know, I'm always kicking myself because a lot of times I don't use the checklist and I'm having to, you have to force yourself to use the checklist. And I know you used to own an RV and you impressed me with a checklist book that you had.
0: Yeah, right. Now that's my tendency to have systems. But what I find is that then I can relax about, did I forget this or didn't we forget that? And I can concentrate on other things and making sure I get everything done. But there are other consequences. We touched on one. And one is that if you don't have a consistently executed system, and we're talking about a checklist here as a system, as a tool that's part of your systems, then you will have degradation of quality over time. But as it relates to the car wash specifically, right? We're talking about being a pilot as an example. If you don't execute everything on the checklist at a car wash, probably nothing catastrophic might happen as it might be when you're flying. However, what it starts leading to is then you start forgetting about things related to preventative maintenance, which we'll focus on in a moment here. And that can lead to the thing you most wanna avoid, which is some sort of a shutdown because someone didn't check something for an extended period of time and now we're paying the consequence, right? Now we're scrambling trying to fix something that could have been avoided if we had just followed our systems and our checklists. Right,
1: right. And downtime in a car wash is is devastating because you don't get those customers back. They go away and they come back on the next cycle when they think about it. They're not necessarily going to come back tomorrow. They've gone away for that particular period of time. So you've lost that customer for that period of time and you're not, you're not going to get that money back. So downtime in a car wash is a tremendously important metric. It's one I measure and it's one, if you were a car wash operator, I would be measuring as well. And I would incent your employees to, uh, I would incent your employees to make sure to minimize downtime.
0: Yeah. All right. So, so we've talked about as it relates to things that need to get done, the tasks, the projects that are car wash, we talked about that you need to have start to build that list off of which will come checklists. Obviously we need to know what needs to be done and that you're going to get a starting point from from various sources, other operators, your supplier, your your chemicals provider, your uh, um, equipment provider, and that's a starting point. We're also going to we're going to share on the show notes page for this episode some example checklists. So be sure to visit the show notes page for this episode at thehowofcarwashing.com, and you'll be able to download some sample checklists that we use and David uses at his two sites. So. It's, it's what needs to be done, who needs to do it, because again, you have the consideration of, of the level of training and expertise and experience of that person, how it needs to be done sometimes, because a lot of these things, obviously cleaning the parking lot or cleaning the uh, the the, uh, the outdoors is obvious, but some other things that are not done on, on as a repeated of a basis are not as obvious, so we need to have reference materials. Often you'll have, you may have that documented, you may have a video, you might have different combinations of content that someone can refer to right to perform that task that maybe doesn't get done on a daily basis is that right
1: right 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 yeah and if they're not doing it often enough chances are they're going to forget it so uh to give an example we'll have some emergency procedures that we try to train people on once a quarter so being able to switch to what we call keypad which is manual operation so if the point of sale system goes down the internet goes down both pay stations go down We can switch to a manual operation. So we get them to practice that every once in a while. We get to give them the practice going from our reclaim water system to fresh water. If the reclaim water system goes down, but they don't do it often enough and they will tend to forget how to do it. If we don't get them to practice that.
0: Yeah. and, and, And people will forget and make mistakes. That's a perfect example of where you have to have separate checklists for those types of things. So when you have to switch over to a different operation than what's typical, you you need to make sure people have a checklist to follow. Otherwise, what's going to happen is you're going to get a phone call saying, "David, uh, we, we don't know what to do," and and, and you're going to be frustrated because you felt like you just explained it to them last month. The thing is, it's it's really on you to not have created a system that is repeatable that someone can execute now on. And we always have we always make this assumption that everybody on our staff is going to remember all those details the way we did.
1: Yeah, they and that absolutely just, that
0: don't. doesn't happen. Right?
1: They absolutely don't. Yeah. So like we have the keypad instructions on the area where you set it up. We got one of those label makers and we labeled out all the instructions and taped it to the to the uh, process control system so that somebody had to do it. They wouldn't have to go find it. They would just find it there on the process control system. Yeah.
0: And so that these are all examples of systems. Everybody has probably heard of that. Some people are more familiar, more comfortable with the term systems than others. But it really is no no magical thing other than you've got some way that you can repeat something and that it can be delegated. And whether that's on a piece of paper, or whether it's typed or it's a checklist or it's a system that you're using to help you manage these things that get done, that is what we mean by a system. And you have to have these things in place. Right. Now, the other thing I wanted to touch about, Dave, we, we talked on you know the who does it, what to do, how to do it. But the why is also I found important. You have to try to make part of your training and ongoing coaching and certainly your site managers need to understand why we care about these things, why we monitor this or perform preventative maintenance on this part or this pump or these hoses. The, the bigger picture of the why I think is important to get buy-in from your team as to why we're doing this and then not that it's just a tedious checkbox.
1: Yeah. I think the why from an equipment maintenance standpoint is pretty apparent. So the equipment doesn't go down. So people explaining that to people, they tend to understand when it gets to cleaning or general maintenance in the facility, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult for them to understand the why, uh, you know, people want to bring their cars to a clean facility to wash their car. And when the facility looks tired and run down and dirty, it's not a, attractive place where people want to do business. So yeah, explaining to them the why is important, but for the most part, if people have the right attitude and they're the right person, they're going to be able to get the why pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. Uh, You touched on something I think is important as well, David, which is, and this applies to any business, but certainly in this business, when you create an environment where the little things are allowed to slip or, you know, we, we kind of avoid this because it's dirty or we just kind of wait till it breaks or, we kind of cut corners that then creates an environment where people feel like, well, it's okay to overlook this other thing because we don't seem to pay attention to that thing. And that just, and I have found snowballs and builds
1: into this attitude that we really don't care about the little things. Right, right, right. And that's where that circle gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Yep. Yeah. So if, if you have the right person in place, then you can train them to be able to do that if they buy into that then it's going to be fine. And I've had both type of employees, both site managers where site managers care about the facility and they understand the importance of checklist and why we do what we do. And I've had site managers that cut corners and don't perform the long-term preventive maintenance. And it shows up in, in the facility and the wash breaking down more often than, than we think. Yeah.
0: So a couple things on checklist. Let's talk about got a little bit more about creating them. There's a couple of things I've always observed and what I always do even when we go into the wash or we go to other businesses is I walk around and I look to see if there are any handwritten notes or a sticky here or something you know, written with a, on a piece of tape or a, a, a marker, all of those things that are one-offs are telling me there's something missing or not quite complete with the systems we have in place. And those are opportunities. If you walk around your operation and you have all kinds of handwritten notes here and a taped up thing over here and a handwritten note over here and and then the official manual over there, that means you've got you don't you don't have something that's all put together. So what I do on a regular basis, but what 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 it does tell you is employees are, are making up their own little systems because they're compensating for what doesn't exist in the system that you've given them. Am I making sense?
1: Oh, yeah, it's making sense, and I... I was just thinking about one of my sites. that has a lot of handwritten notes. Exactly.
0: So, so what happened, what has to happen with that? We let that go sometimes because they're, they're either, uh, you know, quick guides or a summary of it, but we look at, we should look at it two different ways. First of all, it might very well tell us where there's something missing, or we haven't trained somebody on how to properly use the system. In other words, there's a checklist for that guys. You're just being lazy about not using it or the checklist isn't comprehensive enough or the checklist is too darn complicated, right? Could be, um, could be. Yeah. I,
1: I see checklists used for communication. So if they're communicating to the next person coming in, sometimes they will leave them a note, which is fine. I do see a lot of, if, for quick reference, we've got some things that are taped on our countertop and our 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 walls for the employees to look at as they kind of work through customer issues or equipment issues. But it probably would be better if those were in a book that they could they could access.
0: Right. Yeah. And 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 that's not that not my issue is not that they're taped somewhere or put somewhere where they're highly visible. My issue is what I'm saying is look for those things where employees have had to make handwritten notes or additional notes to walk them through something that they have to do maybe on a frequent or, or a less frequent basis. And that might be a clue as to where you have some a breakdown in your systems or deficiencies in your systems. Yeah, I think and that's And so a what idea. you need to do on a regular basis is go through and walk through and collect all of that and say, "Is this? are they using this because they're not using the formal checklist correctly? Or is there something wrong with the checklist we have in place? Or maybe we don't have one in place, And they've had to result to these little notes. Those are clues in my experience in in observing and analyzing an environment as to how effectively your systems are. And again, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about paper based systems, or if we're talking about systems that you've automated, it doesn't matter. Those are some clues for you to look for and especially initially you're going to have a lot of that right so i want to talk about also how do you start to develop and we talked about getting some of those initial starting points but then every site is slightly different so you're going to develop them over time but that's that's part of the work of getting yourself operational up front and that's where that's that's what happens in those first few months when you first open a wash where you're there intensively documenting or at least getting someone to help you document all these things right
1: yeah. Yeah. Then that's, that's the toughest part of car washing and many people are in different stages of that. And I would say most car wash operators don't feel like they've got an effective operations manual or policy procedures checklist.
0: I'd venture to say that a lot of operators depend either on themselves as the knowledge base. So they've got it all in their head or a very strong site manager that's managed a wash before. And so they just, they know how to do it all. Uh, and, and that may well have run and worked for you very well. The problem is I can assure you that that's simply not scalable. It's, yeah, it's not, not repeatable. scalable.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so it's something to give some thought to and to implement a little bit at a time if you've got nothing in place to begin with. All right. So we talked about all those different components. Let's talk about another key thing that we kind of alluded to, which is how do you monitor that your staff, your site managers, your employees are executing to these checklists, that they're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing?
1: Yeah, you, you have to do spot checks. You have to make sure that the checklists are getting checked off. Um, and again, you, it's easy to check things off that aren't getting done. I, I get frustrated when I see the people opening that uh, they leave the checklist on the counter. They go around, they do everything, and then they come back and mark what they're supposed to be doing. I'd much rather have the checklist while they're doing it because the checklist should take them to exactly where they need to be and exactly what they need to be doing. But I see them going through and marking things and then I try to go back and verify what they did via cameras uh, versus what they said they did. So sometimes just doing a spot check of the documents and then spot checking the cameras to making sure that they're doing the right the right task. For example, I've seen people... Uh, in the morning who are supposed to check our cloth to make sure there's nothing in the cloth. I've seen that take everything from a detailed 10 minute view of the cloth to somebody just walking through the tunnel and looking at the cloth and not, not really checking it over. So there's, there's different, there's different interpretations of what's supposed to be done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This, this is such a key thing, just from an operational perspective, managing any business people, your staff will, over time, very quickly notice and respond to what you pay attention to and what you don't, what you measure and what you don't. And so the only way, and it's, it's human tendency, is that people are going to start doing less of what you don't focus or you don't call out. So unless you have some type of an audit process like you just described, Unless unless they know that we you know what? You never know when David's gonna show up and he's gonna grab that opening checklist and go through it and see if this stuff was actually done. You never know when David's gonna review the video from yesterday during closing time to see if we actually did what we said we're gonna do. And then there need to be there needs to be some consequences if I catch that you are simply checking things off but not doing it, right? Yeah. You have to have a culture where people realize that that's a big offense, that you're you're lying to me about what you're doing on your on the job. And I know that sounds a little harsh, but that's the only way I've seen it work effectively over time.
1: Yeah. And and people naturally want to take shortcuts, right? Absolutely. They, they, it's just it's a natural tendency. It's not faulting them because I think it is human nature that we want to take shortcuts and want to we think we're being more efficient. But at the end of the day, it just degrades the quality of the wash and the operation uh, over time to the point where it's not anything that you would recognize.
0: Yeah. The other thing that can happen, and I've observed this many times, and in fact, once I, once I walked into your call wash about five years ago and I looked at all these checklists that were up on the wall, you used to have them up on uh, clipboards all across. And I asked you, of all these checklists, which ones get used? And, and most of them were, so it was a pretty good answer. But what I find in a lot of environments is they have all these well-intended checklists, but they're gathering dusts. So my my challenge to business owners on this topic is, if you're not using that checklist, then either start using it because there's a good reason to do so, or get rid of it. And so you don't have this overload of checklists over checklists over checklists. I find that we try to use sometimes checklists as owners and operators as kind of a crutch to try to catch everything, but really it's about instilling this culture of, if we have this checklist and we say you have an opening checklist, then by golly, you better use this opening checklist. Otherwise, let's change it, fix it, or eliminate it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and most people don't think checklists are a good idea. They,
0: no, that's don't. right, All right. So so what are your thoughts on that and what have you observed from other operators that that operate very well, and other approaches to managing everything that needs to get done in a, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a, on a periodic basis.
1: It, it becomes a culture. Uh, it's a culture of, you know, we use the checklist. The checklists are important. We monitor the fact we use the checklist and there's consequences if you don't use the checklist. And so they create a culture. They've got site managers who believe in it and who are going to reinforce it and are going to monitor it. And when you have that, it's going to make it easier. It's going to make it a lot easier. Your general tunnel tunnel attendant, um, you know, they don't really understand the purposes of the checklist. You, you try to instill it in them. You, you tell them you need for them to use it, but they might not understand the purposes of it. You can explain it to them, but uh, if you don't have the strong leadership team following that, then you're going to be in trouble.
0: Yeah, It's my strong opinion that if you – Do not have, and I don't care what business it is, David, we've been around business a long time and I'm big, obviously on implementing systems and helping a lot of my clients implement systems, especially in this environment, which has all this complexity to it. If you don't have systems in place, then you are exposed. Yes, you might have a very strong site manager who's been with you for a long time and they've got it down. They know what needs to get done. But if that person disappears tomorrow, you probably have a huge problem on your hands. So I don't care how well you're doing it now, you need to have a documented process. You need to have systems in place so that you can replicate this either because you're going to grow to multiple sites or because you never know when someone's not going to be there the next day. It can't all be in somebody's head. That's not repeatable. That's simply not scalable.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's frightening to think that your top guy might leave you someday uh, and then you're going to be in a world of hurt. And that's something I think about. So the better you've got this these operational tasks documented, uh, the better off you'll be in the future.
0: Agreed. Agreed.
1: There, there's just, one subject I think we we skipped here was when does yeah. it have to be done? Do you want to talk about that?
0: Sure. Yeah, let's talk about frequency. I, so. Sorry. And maybe that's related to the types of tasks, but how do you break it up? What, How do you break up frequency? Obviously, you've got daily stuff, but t- walk us through that process.
1: Yeah, so the, the most common denominator is daily. So what's got to be done every day, and those typically revolve around closing and opening procedures. So the things, things you have, have to do every day to make sure the wash is operational and ready to go for your customers, and then making sure that your guys and gals who are closing your wash are making sure that the wash is in a position so when they open the next day, uh, there's, it doesn't look like you know, the wash wasn't wasn't taken care of. So making sure the wash is clean, everything's put up, everything's shut down properly, paperwork is filed in the proper place. And so those are daily tasks. Then the next level would be day of the week tasks. So you might have a task on Tuesday that you would do or a task on Thursday. Or you might have a task that you do know, on Tuesday and Thursday, so I call these day of the week tasks. These can be put on the daily task sheets because uh, you would probably go ahead and create a Monday through Sunday daily task sheet and include your day of the week task in that regard. So they would they would just be doing that, and then they would be um, they would you would have C tasks on there which are unique for that particular day, and a lot of that has to do with taking advantage of what you have to get ready for. Uh, during busy times, so your typical your typical busy days are going to be Thursday through Sunday. So making sure the wash is in a good position so that you can operate efficiently and wash a lot of cars on the busy days, and then understanding Monday through Wednesday are probably going to be your slower days, and doing the things that might take a little bit more time or might not interrupt customer functions, uh, like for example, you want to get the auto centuries or the pay stations. Uh, checked, audited, and filled with money, maybe toward uh, the toward a Wednesday or Thursday where there's going to be busier times. You don't want to get into those pay stations on a Saturday or Sunday when you're washing a lot of cars and you don't have the time or the wherewithal. So, uh, and then from there, I think you would go to monthly. So then you would start getting into some of your preventive maintenance and you would start looking at what do I need to do on a monthly basis? So I would typically say that's the first five days of the month depending on what's going on uh, with your wash and what season you're in. Try to get it done uh, as quickly as you can during the beginning of the month. And then you would go to quarterly, so what things need to be done every four times a year. Then go to semi-annually, what's got to be done every uh, six months, and then what's got to be done annually. So that's how you would break those, those tasks and responsibilities out. And the further out it goes, the more preventive maintenance it becomes. Now, the real trick to this is getting your managers, both your shift leaders and your site managers, to know what's got to be done when. And sometimes, if it's on a list, maybe it doesn't make sense to do it. I'll give right, you an example. Yeah. I've seen people sweeping out the customer service area with a broom when there's a line of cars out to the street. <laughs> and, it's yes, it's on the task list. And, yes, you're supposed to do it on Thursday but I would prefer you not doing that and making sure you're getting cars processed as quickly as possible. And sometimes it's very difficult to get shift leaders and site managers to realize that there are certain things that don't have to be done right away uh, that can be done later, but focusing on the priority of taking care of our customers, making sure our customers are well served and making sure we're processing cars as quickly, efficiently and as safely as possible. And that, yeah, that's this. Okay.
0: This is such a big point. They so I to interrupt there because this happens in almost every environment I've been involved in, where people lose focus of their priorities and they go into task management mode. Oh, it's a task. I, I got to get it done because somebody's going to look to see if I got it done, and they lose sight of. Well, well, wait a second. This task, like sweeping out the office, can wait because I need to go help outside. Right. Um, so how how have you? been effective been able to effectively inculcate that. Is it is it dependent on having, like you said, a strong site manager that can rise above that and say, in other words, that situational awareness to say, right now I need you over here, and that's more important.
1: Yeah, you have to have a culture where taking care of customers is paramount. So making sure when you're busy that your employees are not in the office, they're not working on preventive maintenance tasks not trying to fix things in the equipment room. They're not trying to deal with paperwork. They're outside taking care of customers and just setting a culture that that's the most important thing that that you can do. And if something didn't get done, the question I would ask is, were you taking care of customers at this particular point? If the answer is yes, then I don't care what didn't get done. To be honest, uh, a lot of times these preventive checklists, uh, you know, if they has to, like for a a monthly preventive maintenance. So we're we're really busy busy in the winter months. We get busy about November to about April. And if stuff doesn't get done in the first five days of the month, it gets done in the first 15 days, I'm fine with that. Because I know that they're busy and they're getting these things completed and getting them done eventually. And if they didn't get them done on a certain date, that's okay. That's okay. But it takes judgment and it's hard to train this type of critical thinking and judgment. Yes. You just have to make sure you have the right type of management team that gets this and make sure they they stay on the employees to make sure that they're not performing tasks that are not necessary when things are busy. It drives me crazy when I drive up and I don't see anybody in the parking lot and everybody's in the office and some guys sweeping and some guys, you know, painting a wall or you know, whatever maintenance functions they're doing. It's like get outside and go take care of your customers.
0: But don't you think a lot of times employees will hide behind that as an excuse because they don't want to go face the customer for whatever reason, right? It's easier to, to, well, this is on the task list. so I'm going to go get this other thing done rather than react to what a customer might need.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And if you've got employees that aren't comfortable with customers, they got to learn to be customer comfortable with customers, or they've got to go find a job where they're not interfacing with customers. But but you've got to have employees that like to be with customers.
0: So the caveat that we've just applied to this whole concept of lists and systems is that that overarching it needs to be a reality check, an approach, a a uh, a thought process that everything is about customer. Everything is about taking care of the customer and and of course making sure everything is operational. But the, but those priority that priority setting, we've talked about this in, in other episodes and, and across all our all of our businesses, that situational awareness, that that customer focus overrides everything else. Right. And that's most important. I think that ties also to what I was trying to get across with the why of these different tasks. Now, let me give you a tip on how to maybe make that easier on a checklist. What I tend to like to see on a checklist is to have some level of highlighting what is priority and what is nice to have. So you might have towards the top or in bold some level of significance to help somebody determine are these things I have to get them done or they're nice to get done? Like sweeping out the office is an example of that, right? Yeah. And so you, you need to help as you develop these systems, whether it's manifested in a checklist or a form or a manual or a training uh, video or whatever it might be, you have to bring that into play, is helping that employee prioritize what's most important. This is Henry Lopez. Co host of the How of Car Washing podcast with an exciting announcement. My co host David Begin and I have designed a task management system for our car wash business. It helps us manage all of the operational tasks at our wash locations, like repair work orders, scheduled maintenance, and all of the checklists that we use to keep the wash running smoothly. We call it the Car Wash Operating System, and it helps us manage our operations. So that we can drive maximum performance in our business we are now offering the car wash operating system to other wash owners if you're looking for ways to improve your operations by reducing downtime and reducing maintenance costs then we invite you to learn more about our affordable solution at carwashos.com the car wash operating system is a task management software solution designed to help you manage your operational tasks so that you can drive maximum performance at your wash business. Again, to find out more about the Car Wash operating system, please visit carwashos.com. All right, Dave, so I want to wrap up also on the different types of tasks and projects we've been touching on it on all of these, I think, or most of these as we've been going through describing tasks. We have preventative maintenance, We have repairs, we have upgrades. So we're upgrading a piece of equipment or maybe bringing in a new piece of equipment, uh, cleaning and general maintenance, and then damage claims and customer issues. We haven't touched on a couple of these, but of those, I think the most important priority wise, playing off of what we just talked about with helping with priorities, preventative maintenance and repairs, those are kind of maybe towards the top of the list.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. So let me tell you what we did. We sort of made a transition about five years in operating our car washes. We used to have our staff come in about 30 minutes before opening, and they just went through the opening process. But then we figured out, let's go ahead and get them to come in an hour before opening and then do the opening procedure, for for example, from 6 to 630 to make sure the car wash is working properly. So we'll do a test car. We call it a ghost car. But we' we'll we'll, uh, we'll do a test car. It'll be typically one of the employees' cars. They'll run it through making sure all the equipment's working, all the soaps and polishes are working, everything's rinsing properly, the blowers are coming on. They'll get that done between six and six thirty. And then between six thirty and seven, they can do a little bit of general maintenance. so they use that half hour before they open to get some of the general maintenance done. And that's worked out really well. That's worked mm-hmm. out really well. It's got a you're lot doing of that every happen. day now before you yeah. open. Yeah. 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 So and then that, that
0: buffering time also could could be used for if they do find something is wrong that needs to be repaired to absolutely. get it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's been, been times before where the car was didn't operate and then now they're not like pushing up against the seven o'clock time window to open. They still have a half hour to, to figure out what's going on. So just give yourself a little bit of buffer. I know it's a little bit more money and labor.
0: Right. That's what I was going to say. That's probably the initial thing that would come to my mind is, whoa, wait a second. What, what about my increased labor cost on that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. But but again, it's an operationally intensive business, and you want to make sure that you're operationally ready to go when you open the doors at 7 o'clock. So it makes makes really, really good sense to do that. It takes a little bit of pressure off your staff when it comes to opening It gives them some flexibility and buffer. And if they don't need that time period, they can use that for some general maintenance or cleaning.
0: All right. I wanted to go back to, you had described all of the different frequencies, but what do you do on a weather day?
1: Uh, Weather day, you'll typically go to your upgrades and repairs. So what needs to get repaired might be done on a weather day. We don't close as often as we used to we stay open since we've we've really uh pushed our unlimited club program we've got a lot of customers who expect us to be open so unless there's something really bad or wrong we're we're going to go ahead and open and we, we might not get a lot of cars but uh you know we're going to go ahead and open the wash so if if we do have a snow day where it's the you know multiple inches of snow there's nobody out driving Uh, we might close for weather in that particular example. And then there'll be preventive maintenance and repairs that are done at that time.
0: Yeah. And that's also an example of another system. You have a procedure in place, it could be a procedure, it could be a checklist, it could be anything. It's all part of this concept of having systems to drive operational efficiencies. But for weather decisions, you have a system. It's not an arbitrary process. And I think most operators have this. But that, again, is a process that you have in place. And and it's a system that somebody executes to determine whether it's based on a certain temperature, and then it has to be escalated to you to make the final decision. Whatever it might be, there's a system in place, and then there's something else that kicks off, which is here's what we're going to do. Instead of opening, we're going to do these things.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. So these, we um we, we use a tool called Slack, uh, which is an online text messaging tool, and at six thirty in the morning. Both the site managers will get online and give me what the current temperature is. In the wintertime, it gets way below freezing here in Colorado. And so we have to determine if we're going to open or not due to freezing. That That is one of the major conditions that will cause us not to open if the temperature is below 20 degrees. Depending on the wind's blowing, the sun's shining, if it's cloudy. And they'll, they'll look at it. They'll say it's 15 degrees. It feels like 10 degrees. And they look at the forecast and they say it looks like it'll warm up about 9 o'clock. We'll look at it at 8 o'clock. The conversation is going on between both the site managers. I'm just reviewing it and monitoring it, and then they can make the determination when they're going to open. But it's a really great tool to get your team to communicate with each other. You can keep these these communications uh, amongst each other, uh, so you can go back and review them if you need to. But uh, anybody on that particular uh, distribution will be able to either type in information, or be able to monitor what's going on. And yeah. so that's that's worked out really well for us, To and because I want to see their decision-making. I don't want to be the person making the decision all the time. I want to see them make the decisions. The more decisions I can pass off to them, the better they'll be in making these decisions. And I found that as a manager, I'm, I'm sure you probably find that too, Henry, is if people ask you a bunch of questions, on things that you feel like they ought to be making decisions on. It's because we like to jump in and solve the problem for them and tell them what to do. And I'm trying to move away from that and say, you tell me what you think ought to be done. I'll tell you if I don't like it, but you tell me what you think.
0: Yeah, what it tells me is that I haven't put a proper system in place for them to make most of these decisions themselves. It's pretty simple thought process when it comes to system. If it's something that happens on more than once it's not a one-off so that that's a project but if it's something that happens on more than one occasion on a repeated basis of any frequency and usually you perform similar or the same types of tasks then that is a that requires a system such that i don't have to always be the one that answers those questions right? right Right. And it's it's a critical test. And, and again, it is one of the key things that separates us from being a small business owner where we have a low-paying job because we're getting calls 24-7 or we're on site 24-7 and an entrepreneur who really can begin to separate themselves from the business because you've implemented these operational efficiencies and that is facilitated by implementing systems right. so that things can be executed on a repeatable and reliable and consistent basis. That's what results then in an operation that's efficient, that's that's productive, that's professional, that's clean, that results in the best product and the best experience for our customers. It is the way it's done in any industry, but we have a tendency, especially in this industry, because we especially when we first get started, we have to have our hands in everything, and that is typical and expected, but then we forget to begin to step away, and the only way we can begin to step away is to put systems in place. And again, as we've talked about, a system can be something as simple as a checklist. It can be a procedure. It can be a process. It can be a training component. It could be a form. You know, we touched, for example, very quickly on a damage claim or some other type of incident. So you've got, and most people should have some type of a form, even if it's a paper-based form, or you might apply some technology to it. But that form is an example of a system. It has on it, if it's a properly designed form, everything that that employee needs to do to document and capture and explain to the customer what happens now with this incident. That's another example of a system.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and it's frustrating because when you first start off, you don't know, if you're new in the industry, you don't know a lot about car washing. And so you're sort of figuring out A lot of these processes on the fly and that's where you want to get to your network of people either other car wash owners whether it's your distributor uh, and get some get some advice and help in creating these systems
0: all right we'll start to wrap it up but i want to come back to this very important topic which is also what happens is and you touched on it a little bit but we get busy with the operations of a car wash And a lot of this stuff falls through the cracks. We forget about this or we ignore that system or this doesn't get done. How do you find what have been some good best practices to avoid that so that when you're busy and if you've been fortunate to be consistently busy for a period of time, let's say weather has been consistently good for a month or two, how do you avoid then not getting that stuff done that can then pile up?
1: You have to check with your with your management team and see how they're doing with these things. A lot of times people think that being busy is an excuse not to do these things. And I get that for a period of time, but it's not an excuse to not perform the functions that need to be performed. I, I had some managers that would tell me a lot I'm where well, we were busy, and that was the excuse that they would use not to get things completed. And you've got to sort of manage that a little bit. Like, okay, well, were they busy and how busy were they and were they consistently busy? But that can become an excuse over time not to get things not to get things uh, completed. So the biggest things as far as tasks and projects is the repairs. You've got to get things repaired. So those are typically your highest priority items. Uh, they're either going to affect your wash quality or it could be a critical item. Uh, like if your conveyor breaks, for example... Now you're not washing cars. So things that are broken have got to get fixed and get fixed quickly. These are things I see certain car wash operators put put off. And then when you go through their wash, you see equipment that's pulled back because it's not working properly or it's pulled up because it's not working properly. And it creates a very bad experience from a customer standpoint. So repairs are the most important The one thing I would say as far as preventive maintenance is you should lump most of your preventive maintenance during your slow period during the year. So we try to get a lot of our preventive maintenance done between April and November. So when I get to September or November, I tell my guys and gals, I say, I want to make sure everything's ready to go. I want all the rollers replaced. I want our chain flipped. I want any cloth replaced that we need to get replaced. I want any hydraulic motors replaced. I want our hydraulic hoses replaced. I want everything that needs to get done so that when it comes, comes busy time, we're not having to do these types of preventive maintenance tasks that we could have done when it's slower. So it's really important to kind of look at your car wash in a seasonal perspective because you want to do things when things are slow that are going to pay off when you're busy. Yeah. yeah. Upgrades is another one of those. You want to do that not during busy times. You want right. to do that during slow times. And upgrades could could be done at night, so sometimes you're going to be working all night to do upgrades. Uh, you have to think about when you want to – if you have to close the wash for upgrades, you have to think about what's the slowest month for you to close your wash. Uh, we've closed up to a week before to do upgrades, and I don't like having – I don't like doing that, but sometimes you're going to have to do that, especially as your wash gets older Then you start replacing equipment. You might have to be down for a certain period of time.
0: Yeah. So just to kind of summarize on that, it's been my observation. And I'd like you to give me your, your further thoughts that operators tend to put off these types of things, repair, pre- preventative maintenance, and let them build up for a couple of primary reasons in my observation. One is either they're just, they just get so busy with putting out the fires of the day and responding to the, the busyness of operating the wash they've been fortunate to have a successful wash in that regard and so they're busy and that stuff doesn't get done. But there's also, I've observed people who tend to look at that from a financial perspective, they're trying to perhaps cut some costs and and get more out of a particular part or component than maybe is, is recommended and they're pushing the edge on that. So there's that component that comes into play and we get it, obviously. We, we're all looking to make money here so you're trying to drive your margins as much as possible. But we can be short-sighted in that thinking. Yeah. yeah. What else What else have you observed? Is that, are those the two categories, or am I missing something no, there that's, as to why people put those things off?
1: That's a great example. Very good example. So hydraulic hoses, for example. Our hydraulic hoses would break. And when a hydraulic hoses break in the tunnel, it doesn't do it when you're slow. It always does it when you're busy. Of course. And then it takes two to three hours to get every car out, get the hydraulic fluid off the cars, get the hydraulic fluid off the cloth, so that you can reopen, and it's a nightmare. So, do I want to go through that experience, or do I want to pay the two, three, five hundred dollars to get a brand new set of hoses every year? So that's an example of what I would call preventive maintenance. I'm going to replace them, even though I don't know whether those hoses are in good conditions or not. I don't want to take the risk of those hydraulic hoses breaking. Same thing with the, with the conveyor motor. Do we want to replace that every three to five years? Because if that goes out, it's going to shut down the conveyor and you're going to be down for two hours or you just want to go ahead and pay the $800 for a brand new conveyor motor and replace it. So I'm very much a proponent on preventive maintenance, replacing things that could break uh, and not letting them break so that you don't have that problem of downtime. I'll give you an example with my house. Our water heaters were probably 15 years old. We have two hot water heaters in our house and, uh, they were getting the age where, you know, they were they were going to probably go. And I didn't know when they were going to go, and I didn't want the basement flooding when they went. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to spend the money and go ahead and replace my hot water heaters. Even though there's probably nothing wrong with the ones I had, I just knew they were getting to the age where they were going to start failing. And I knew I was probably not going to be around when it failed. So I just wanted to take that off, the, off my mind, get peace of mind, and go ahead and replace them. But I'm, I'm a big proponent on preventive maintenance, replacing things that are wear items. Get a get a uh, kind of a standard cycle of when you should replace things, and it could be based on the number of cars. It could be a you know what I would call counter based maintenance or predictive maintenance. So you might know that with every four hundred thousand cars, your 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 chain's going to break, start breaking. So you would want to replace that chain before it starts breaking, because when it breaks. It starts popping those links, and then you're going to find that they'll start popping links every day. And guess what? You don't have a chain. Now you're overnighting a 1,000-pound box of chain to come to your site, and you're having to, to install it. So just kind of figure out to say, I'm going to replace my chain every three years, and I'm, I'm going to have peace of mind to make sure the car wash runs properly. I'm a big proponent of that. A lot of operators aren't, right? They're trying to get every dollar out of it, or they just don't think about it. They just don't right. think about it.
0: Right, and you have to ask yourself, well, which category do you fall in? And again, listen, if you're struggling financially, then we're not here to tell you to, to, to start spending where you don't need to spend. But for in my observation and yours as well, Dave, For most operators, it's a matter of they just haven't focused on this or haven't realized how this drives this operational efficiency, then drives a much better performing wash, a much better resulting customer value to the customer. And then that just leads to growth and and a better reputation and just a better overall business and a lot more sanity for you as the owner.
1: Sure, sure. You know, I don't think it costs that much money. I would say cost is not that big of an issue. I, I think it's a back, perception,
0: right? It's a perception. It is. We, we have this tendency to want to, and I get it. If you're frugal from a financial perspective, you have this tendency to say, well, let's, let's see if we can't get another year's worth out of this A, B or C thing. But when we're talking about what this is essentially, which is an assembly line where, where the continuous process of that conveyor is critical to my livelihood, we cannot take shortcuts. There has been our
1: experience. Uptime is everything. Uptime is everything. And I'm going to throw out a number. I would say on normal years, if everything's working properly, I might spend $10,000, $20,000 on maintenance parts. Um, That's not, you know, in the great scheme of things, it's not a lot of money. It's not a lot of money. And I have confidence. I've got peace of mind and I'm focused on my number one metric, which is uptime.
0: All right, so we'll wrap it up here. So the, the key here was about driving operational efficiencies and what underpins that are systems. And systems can be paper systems, like most operators have, like we have to an extent, or you could apply tools, you could apply technologies, you could apply a tool like Slack or other maintenance systems that exist in the marketplace. You have to determine for yourself what makes sense and where to start. But definitely when there's something which applies to just about everything within your operation that is repeatable, that you're delegating, that you want to be done on a consistent and regular basis, that requires a system in place so that it is done at the highest standards on a repeatable basis. That system then though has to be audited because otherwise our human nature is to slack off and to start cutting corners and we always your team is always going to be very conscious and learning what you pay attention to and what you don't what what was just you know the checklist of the month or the poster of the month and what you really pay attention to so it still falls on you and your GM if you have one or a site manager to continue to drive that culture of what we do how we do it and why we have such a high standard of operational efficiency so again, a system can be a checklist. It could be a form. It could be a procedure. It could be a video. All of those things combined. It could be paper-based. It could be automated. It doesn't matter. It's a matter of always continuously applying systems. And that's a key point as well, David, is that you don't just, it'd be nice if you just implemented this at at front, and that's where most of the work is done. But then it requires constant monitoring and improvement because everything evolves.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You need to work on the system. And that's my downfall sometimes as i'm not great at going back and making sure the system is being followed and worked on but it's so critical to the operation and making sure you got a good operation
0: it is so david i've mentioned a few times that you can find some sample checklists that we will provide on the show notes page for this episode you can go to the and download those so we'll wrap it up with that thank you folks for listening to this episode of the how of car washing and thanks to our show sponsor, Wash Systems. Please visit us at thehowofcarwashing.com for the show notes to this episode.
1: Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.